You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Adam Posner, expert recruiter, podcast host, and the founder of NHP Talent, a talent access consultancy specializing in recruitment strategy, talent process, and operations. Adam is also the host of the popular podcast, The Podcast, which showcases experts from the talent and HR industries to help listeners harness their inner tenacity to drive their career forward. Prior to pivoting into the world of recruiting, Adam spent 15 years working within the advertising and marketing industry. He led account management and digital strategy at American Express, SiriusXM, and VaynerMedia. In this episode, we talk about Adam's career journey, his his experience at VaynerMedia, and the advice Gary V gave him on the day he got fired. We'll also discuss Adam's transition to recruiting, what recruiters look for in a resume, and why you should never say no. If you're looking to land a job or contemplating a major career transition, this episode will be right up your alley. So Adam, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. This is one of my second or third in-person interviews that I've ever done for this actual podcast. So congratulations that, uh, you know, you're one of my first live interviews. I am honored. And thank you so much for having me on. You know how much I appreciate you and our relationship as we've both grown through the ranks of this wonderful world of podcasting. I know, you know, I, I, I'm excited because I consider you to be one of my closest friends in the industry, like an actual real friend that I've made along the way, somebody that I can turn to for advice or to co-host Likewise. things with me. And I really do consider you a true friend. I appreciate that. And and I really, truly feel the same way. And it's funny because this is the first time we're actually meeting in person, but it goes to show you in this world how you really can build relationships without actually meeting somebody. But now we're here. I know. And I feel like you're an old friend that I've met a million times because I've had so many conversations with you. So since we're on this topic, let's talk about collaboration over competition, because me and you are in the same space. Uh, We're both active on LinkedIn. We both have podcasts. We could easily be competitors and feel either envious of one another or not willing to help each other, which along the way we've helped each other so much. So talk to me about your opinion of collaboration over competition. I mean, a a thousand percent. There's just so much abundance out there. There's so many ears, there's so many eyeballs. I don't own those eyeballs or attention. You don't own them. There's enough of that to go around. And when you have the mindset of helping and collaborating over compete, that sets the tone for everything. Really, that's about who you are. That's karma, and it goes back to what I talk about all the time, it's the how. And we'll talk about the why in a little bit, but it's the how you go about living your life, helping other people, because it comes back to you. 
100%. I totally agree. So something else that we have in common aside from podcasting and LinkedIn is living in the tri-state. So how has New York shaped who you are as a person? It's a pride thing. I think a lot of people who live in, you know, where they live in, in the world and cities take a lot of pride, but there's something about being a New Yorker, right, Hala? Like, it's a vibe, it's a grit, but it's also an instinct. And today when I was walking from the train, it was my first time taking the train into the city in two years. Mm -hmm. And at first I was, I'm not gonna use the word in, intimidated, but I was a little bit, you know, off my game because it, it's been a long time, but a couple of steps on the city streets, it felt back like home. And I think something about being a native New Yorker, there's a lot of pride in it that translates to everything that we do, the way we interact with people, the way we build relationships, the way we cultivate culture and incorporate that into our creative outlet, which is our, our podcast. And I think it goes a long way and people see it. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like being from New York, I have a certain advantage because I just feel like I think quicker. <laughs> Like, and just, um, you know, that saying, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I really feel that's true because it's so competitive and you just kind of learn how to survive, I think, a lot better. There's a huge survival piece, too. And it's also, there's a flip side of it, too, when New York will show you the best and shine the brightest light on you. But when you fail and you're down on your dumps, it could also be the gutter from hell. And I think that there's a grit to it. I think that you and I have seen even going back to, to the social sense, like there's everything in this world that you could want in New York City. Any time of day, pre-COVID, you know, any time of night, you could get into anything, you could do anything, you could find yourself anywhere. And I love that experience that I had here. Growing up in New York, living in New York, post-college living in New York for almost 10 years, you get to experience the city and see things that other people don't. And it's also, I think that you have to be able to integrate with different cultures and different types of people that you wouldn't do anywhere else in the world. Mm, and I think that's a skill that really helps you in life and in business. I think that's a great point. So I wanna take it back to your career journey because now you know you own a successful recruiting agency. We're gonna get into like how to stand out as a, an applicant, how to uh, do well as a recruiter. We'll get into all that, but I wanna talk about your career journey and congratulations. I know you had Gary Vee on your show. Thank you. That is one of my bucket list items. He actually rejected me like two weeks ago. So He's okay as a guest. Oh, yeah. He's just okay. <laughs> well, tell me about your experience at VaynerMedia, because I know you had a, a dream job there that you landed early in your career. And then I think they fired you within the year. Yeah, right? listen to that. Tell listen me that. about that. So it's kind of crazy. Like everyone has these aspirations of their dream jobs, yeah. of where they want to be. And for me at the time, you know, we're talking 2014. Gary was not a household name. But for those of us in this industry, in media, social media, marketing and advertising, Gary was the, the golden boy at the time. Okay. And luckily for me, I had two very close connections that were close with Gary and it didn't get me the job, but enabled me to get the opportunity to interview. I still had to earn mm -hmm. my job there. And that's exactly what I did. And Hala, I'll tell you straight up, I thought that was gonna be my forever job. I was. And were you doing recruiting for them? No, 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 no. I was working in marketing and advertising before okay. I went into recruiting. So I was in a group account director over there managing pieces of business and digital marketing and social. I, I mean, I've been involved in digital and social media since day one, like internet 1.0. And I thought when I landed the job, it was my forever job, the holy grail, working for Gary Vee. And in the beginning, it was awesome. I mean, I was literally doing new business pitches with Gary and I spent a lot of time with him and his team and I learned a lot. But unfortunately, things went south pretty quickly. 
And it's a combination of me taking responsibility for not doing exactly what they hired me for. I wasn't the same person I am now than I was back then. And the other piece, I was not set up for success. And when you take those two elements and me not handling it well, it was a recipe for disaster. And I lost my job. I got fired and it was to this point, knock on wood, uh, the lowest point in my in my life. Wow. So basically, you feel like you underperformed. And I, I know that Gary told you something. And according to your interview, you were his top 15 most difficult fires. Yeah. <laughs> which, top 15. I mean, that's a pretty good, uh, yeah. pretty good notch on your belt there that you were really hard for him to fire, at least. So talk to us about what you wish you had done differently and advice to people who may be struggling in their current job before they actually get the hook. Anyone who gets fired, if you don't know it's coming and you don't feel it, then you don't have that self-awareness and you're lying to yourself. Mm. I knew there was conversations, there was touch points beforehand. So I knew it was coming. It was just more of a matter of when, and I was kind of running out the clock at a certain point. Um, but they went through the due diligence there. I think that the second, listen, not every job is meant to work out for everybody. Let, let's just be very mindful of that. Sometimes it could be performance-based, sometimes it could be cultural-based, but it's about having that self-awareness to say, hey, listen, maybe this isn't right, maybe I'm not doing something well. The first thing you should do is raise your hand and say, hey, to your, to your boss or whoever you're reporting to, let's have this conversation. If you could, kind of head that conversation off and have it first, that's gonna be a huge competitive advantage to you to try to course correct. Yeah. Now listen, sometimes things just don't work out and it's not the right place. And Gary even said that to me, he's like, listen, it's not because people don't like you and it wasn't because I'm terrible at social media or it just wasn't the right place at the right time in that environment. And I'm thankful for that happening because yeah. it changed the trajectory of my entire life. Yeah, it was a wake up call. Probably you probably realized like, wow, like I am not operating at my 100% potential. I just lost a huge opportunity because I'm not operating at 100%. And I, I understand like I've been in those times where I'll tell you a quick story. And I never tell stories about myself on my podcast, but it's you're your my friend. So I, I feel like telling a story. But do so it. Like take advantage of that. I was working at Hot 97 at the time, or shortly left Hot 97 actually, and I landed an interview with Sway in the Morning, and I was gonna be his co-host. Really? And they basically, I had the job in the can. Like it was yours? It was mine. I, I was co-hosting with him all week, but at the time I was really vain. And I remember I was so worried about what I looked like all the time that I don't think that I made a good impression on him. And so I basically got fired after that week. And I think he just wasn't into me. He was just, and it's sad because I was so smart and so talented, but I was just so nervous about making a good impression that I was just so much more worried about what I look like and went too many times to the bathroom to fix my makeup and my hair and like all that kind of stuff instead of just focusing on my job. And then he gave it to some other girl who's probably still with him. But, you know, looking back, it's all a blessing in disguise. But I could have been swaying the morning's co-host when I was 25, you know? But everything happens for a reason. And, you know, I call that moment my self-awareness epiphany. Because it was that moment when I really had to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing? What am I good at? What do I want to be doing? Yeah. And the hardest pill for me to swallow was saying, all right, I've been doing advertising and marketing, account management and digital strategy for 15 years. It's what I know. And now at the age of 35, I'm gonna take a completely different direction. I'm gonna change directions. And I went into recruiting and I started a new job. 
I mean, to do that at 35 and literally go from making a very good, you know, six figure salary to literally making a $40,000 draw commission and having to learn. I mean, I, I remember my first day in recruiting. I mean, I had to learn a new job, like low man on the totem pole. Like there was kids working there that are 22, 23. They've been doing this for three years, like crushing it. And now I'm this like middle-aged dude with kids coming in, like, like, like starting them. I'm like, hey guys, nice to meet you. You know, like my little backpack, yeah. Going to school for the first day. <laughs> so so you transitioned into recruitment. Yeah. Before we get into that, I know that Gary gave you a very strong Oh, you want to talk advice. about that? Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about, yeah. uh, I think he told you to focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. What did he tell you exactly? He said, stop focusing on the things that you suck at and double down on your strengths. And I thought about it for a second because your entire life, you're taught to work on things and get better at it. And it's a real game changer when you say, all right, what am I good at? I'm good at this. I'm good at relationships. I'm good at connecting. So why don't I focus on that and stop focusing on making sure that I understand the full social media strategy part that, you know, I'm working on XYZ of financial P&Ls for clients and budgeting and things that I absolutely hate. And once you put your energy towards the things that you're good at, the benefits are so incremental the X factor is out of control. And you know this better than anyone. When you put your mind to the things that you're good at, that's when you could really scale. Yeah. And you don't know that when you're 22. Very few 20-year-olds know that. Yeah. And it takes years of experience. And also the ability to listen to somebody with wisdom and experience like Gary Vee and take those words to heart and execute on them. Yeah, I think that is such great advice. So he said, stop focusing on the things that you suck at. So everybody listening right now. He said it with some curses in there. You know, it's just focus on your strengths because it's that 80-20% rule. And also, so many things can be outsourced now. And you can have business partners and you can have colleagues and employees and, and scale your team. For Young and Profiting Podcast, I feel like the reason why this endeavor has been successful for me compared to other endeavors that I've had is that from episode two, I had a business partner and he does all the finances and he does all the legal stuff. All the things and that are not your strengths. All the stuff that I hate. That you don't even want to look I at. I literally can't even pay attention in my finance calls, you know, because that's not me. I'm creative. I'm innovative. And that's your strengths. I need to be working on that And you could put your stuff. energy towards exactly. that. Exactly. There was also some other piece that, Gary, that I really don't talk about a lot, not for any particular reason, but it's really important. There's a big difference between shifting from a salaried paycheck W-2 job mm -hmm. to either a commission-based job where you're in a sales function, which recruiting is, and you have unlimited earning potential. That's going to change your motivator. Mm -hmm. That's going to bring out certain elements of someone's character and skill set that may have been dormant otherwise. When you tell someone who has the ability to excel in a sales role that they have unlimited potential, earning potential, that lights something. Yeah. And that lit a fire in me that said, shit, I, I, could, I could go out and I could, you know, I was capped at this amount, same paycheck every week. Yeah. Now I could go out and make whatever I can. And that was a huge motivator, Hala. Yeah. So, okay. So you transitioned from being in a marketing role to then HR. Recruiting. How recruiting and HR are very different. Okay. Recruiting and HR are very different. So what's the difference? Let's start there because yeah. I'm not in that space. What's the difference between recruiting and HR? And then talk to us about how you transitioned into a new role and how you ended up going out on your own too. Talk to us about Yeah, absolutely. Role. So just for everyone, I mean, it, it's just it's just by nature that people sometimes confuse HR and, and, and recruiting because they're in a similar world. Sometimes they're interchangeable because in the past HR would handle recruiting, but they're really two different functions. HR is the management of internal employees, benefits, process, if there's any internal conflicts dealing with anything inside of the company. Sometimes they're dealing, once somebody is hired, they're dealing with the onboarding, mm -hmm. 
But recruitment is purely talent acquisition, talent access. My job, I'm, I'm hired by companies to go out and find the best possible talent for their openings for their roles. Okay, got it. And so how did you successfully transition and upskill yourself so that you actually could be a good recruiter when you had no experiences previously? And how the hell did you even get your foot in the door if you had no previous experience? It's a great question. So once, and this is really interesting too, th there was this period between the time I got let go and, and the time that I said, I'm going all in on recruiting. I had a lot of thoughts. I had thoughts about maybe I should go, I like building and fixing things. Maybe I should go work at Home Depot and like, I'm just real serious. Like I never even talk about this. Like maybe I should go work at Home Depot and maybe I'll go run a Home Depot and build a career like doing that. Or maybe there's some other calling in life. Like I always had the travel bug. Maybe I should be like a, not a travel agent, but something in that kind of world there too. And I always kind of went back to what am I good at? What do I want to be doing? Where do I have the potential to, to make, honestly make a lot of money? I mean, let's call it what it is, you know, house, expenses, cars, life, kids, insurance, real life stuff. And all right, so I said, okay, I'm gonna go all in on recruiting. So before I even got the job, which I'll get to in a second, I said, I'm gonna do my due diligence. And I reached out to every recruiter that I've ever met. And I said, can we talk? You tell me about the business. They told me the ups, the downs, what a draw means from a sales perspective. Anybody who's not in sales, you know, you have a base salary and then you get commission and the commission goes against the draw until you get over it. And I never understood that. I always knew I got a paycheck. And what does that mean? How long does it take to get paid? Because if you think about recruiting, people are like, oh man, everyone's killing it. You're making these huge fees. How long does it take to get paid? Understanding the technical elements of the business. So before I even spent one day in the seat as a paid recruiter, I learned everything I could about it. And I was lucky to uh, interview with a great company called Onward Search. And they are different because a lot of recruiting companies are literally smile and dial all day, cold calling all day. And this gave me a place where they valued my core asset, which are relationships. I was coming to the table to any recruitment firm with a Rolodex of advertising and marketing contacts. So day one, when I hit the ground, I was able to call on them and get business pretty quickly. Mm, that's great. Now that's one piece, but you still have to fill it and fill the roles. So I hit the ground running and luckily for me, I had a great mentor by the name of Tom Hall. And he taught me the art and science of recruiting. And he said the most valuable thing to me, and I talk about it all the time, and I repeat this mantra holla every single day. Before my computer turns on, mm -hmm. before I make a phone call, before I do anything, plan your work and work your plan. Okay. Plan your work and work your plan. Go into every single day with a list of things I'm going to accomplish. And I know, listen, life comes, you have curveballs and things come and you have to handle them. But if I could hit 75, 80% of the things that I meant to go out for the day, I know I have a successful day and I'm on plan and I'm on target. I love this because I feel like it's really relevant for a lot of people who are in an industry where they have a lot of specific contacts for that industry, but they may not be thriving in that role, but they have all the relationships. If you're good at sales, you could potentially pivot to recruiting and leverage all those contacts and start a new career. So it's really relevant, especially in the pandemic when lots of people are trying to figure out new career paths. It's interesting. The, the pandemic has been a blessing and a curse for, for many in many different ways. And, you know, lots of folks were affected. But if we're going to really talk about it from a career perspective here, it's given people the ability, if they've lost jobs, to take a moment and say, what do I want to be doing yeah. in life? What makes me happy? Do I really like being an accountant for the last 17 years? But you know what I really like doing is X, Y, and Z. And it's given people that opportunity to go about and, and try it and have access and have the ability to be home and have the bandwidth where they're not commuting four hours a day. 
So let's, since we're on the topic of the pandemic and lots of people looking to change their jobs and getting a new job, as a recruiter, what do you look for in a candidate? How can somebody kind of stand out in the sea of resumes? What are the top things that somebody should do who's looking for a job? I mean, this is black and white as possible. Be relevant. Be relevant to the opportunity that you're applying for. My job as a recruiter is to find the best possible person for that role from a skills perspective, first and foremost. You have to be able to do the job. I mean, like people talk about character over skill. I agree with that, character over skill. After the minimum skills needed for that position are checked off the box. Yeah. Let's call it what it is. Now, after that point, you wanna have the best possible person who has the, the fire, the tenacity. So one is be qualified for the role. That's not to undermine folks that say, listen, you know, don't go out there and go for your goals and everything, but let's call it what it is. It's a highly competitive market out there and we're looking for specific people who could come in and jump into a role pretty quickly. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, a lot of folks don't have the bandwidth to train people as best as they could. They're not in the office, let's call it what it is. So, you know, if you're reporting to somebody, they're not gonna have the bandwidth to train you. They want someone who could jump in and do the job. So be qualified for the role, that's first and foremost. When I'm interviewing somebody, I want somebody who is naturally inquisitive. They're gonna ask the right questions. They're gonna to wanna to know why. That is an indicator that they're a natural problem solver mm -hmm. because their mindset is going in the direction of how am I going to solve something that I don't have the answer to? Mm -hmm. How working potentially remote, do I not have access to the information and the right people where I'm gonna find the right path and not need handholding? Well, those are some great tips. <laughs> um, so I know we're both really active on LinkedIn. We're pretty much influencers on that channel and you've got a great network on there. I'm sure you have amazing guidance when it comes to how to actually leverage LinkedIn to get a job. So talk to us about that. Yeah, it's interesting too. And you know, we talk about relevance a lot and I think relevance is important. And, and I, I say there's a lot of responsibility of a job seeker. If you're gonna reach out to a recruiter, make sure it's the right recruiter for your industry. I can't even tell you how many people a day reach out to me from industries, outside industries, mm. not related to marketing and advertising. Our time is finite, Holla. Can I ask you a question? So recruiters typically focus on one industry. I didn't know that. There are generalists, but you have to think about it. You know, the inch wide, mile deep. Like mm -hmm. I focus on marketing, media, and advertising. That's my specialty. Those are my clients. Those are my candidates. That's the universe that I live in. I'm not doing finance. I'm not recruiting doctors, lawyers, back office admin. That's not my world. There are a few generalist recruiters out there, but really highly successful recruiters are very are niche. And the most successful recruiters I know are hyper niche. For example, I have friends that do IT recruiting, but they're very specific for a certain platform or program. So they know all the players in there, they know who all the candidates are, and they're extremely successful. So make sure if you're a candidate reaching out that you're relevant because you're not wasting people's time. Yeah, and I can imagine that since you've been in marketing and advertising, you can really fish out the phonies. And that probably is to your advantage as well because you have the actual industry experience to ask the right questions and really understand if these people know what they're doing or not. Well, that's why I decided to focus on recruiting in marketing, media, and advertising because I didn't want to learn. It was it was logical. I mean, there wasn't even a moment when I was like, you know what, I'm going to focus on finance jobs. It was That was never even the case. It was never even a question of what roles I was going to recruit for. So now I have conversations with folks who are in account management, digital strategy, out of home, social, whatever the niche is. And I can have a conversation with them and they're like, wow, this, this guy knows what he's talking about. And then in turn, I could go to my clients that I'm either working with and say, here's why I think Holla is great for this role yeah. with a good foundation behind it. And on the flip side of it, pitching business, 
having worked in that industry and being able to talk shop and now how it works is a complete game changer. Like I always say, like I was meant to be doing what I'm doing now. I couldn't be doing this at, at 23, 24. Yeah, you had to go through that journey sure. in order to be ready. So everything always turns out to work full circle. I talk about skill stacking all the time. You have such a perfect skill stacking story. You know, you got all that marketing and ad experience to then use it in a different way later on that was really fruitful and successful for you. So even though those things didn't pan out, you got the knowledge and experience that you needed to succeed later. And that's all what we talk about on this podcast is that every experience matters because you just layer on those skills, layer on that knowledge, and then you'll be really powerful one day with that unique set of knowledge and skills. And I'm really glad that you said that because I think a lot of people are either looking for instant gratification or they don't realize in the moment how important that skill set is now that they're going to need later on in life. And anyone listening, if you're listening to Hala and I and you're listening to our journeys, I promise you all those skills are going to pay off later on. You just have to have faith in the process you know, trust yourself and trust that you're going down the right path and everything is meant to be for a reason. And the other side of that too, I don't think I would be a, a, a good podcaster and having a podcast if it wasn't for being a recruiter because the skill set of being a recruiter is interviewing and asking people questions and being oh natural gosh, and so that myself. prepared you for, for your next phase as a podcaster even. 100%. It's so funny how how that works. It's it's And the other thing is you need to have an open mind to realize that there's not one path to success. If you had just been like, no, I'm a marketer, I'm a marketer, that's all I am, that's all I'll ever be, you'd be stuck in the same place, you know? And now you have your own company, it's growing, you're a huge podcast. It's like, if you if you were stuck on being closed-minded, you would have never been as successful. So I think that's the other lesson in there. There was a huge, I, I had to transform big time myself and it was it was humble pie. It was a huge piece of humble pie. The other part too was really being okay. Like, how do I tell that story to people that I failed? And that took me a good year. It took me a good year to tell people that I was fired versus I left. And I came up with stories. I came up with BS and it was all optics, right? It's like, what do I want other people to think of me? And once I broke down the wall and I forgot I was on somebody's podcast and it was like an aha moment for me. It was the first time I said publicly that I got fired. And that opened up everything, Hala. And it was like this weight that was lifted off my chest. And I'm like, finally free that I'm able to say that. And then people are like, you know what? I've been fired too. It's okay to talk about it. So many people have been fired, but there's a stigma behind it. And once I opened that up, it was it was like a waterfall of attracting audience and attracting people that said, you know what? I, I, I align with, I'm with you, Adam. So it kind of helped your personal brand then to, to be honest about your, Vulnerability. your story. Yeah. yeah. So what's the importance of being open and honest about your failures as well as your wins? I think it comes down to the word and and the concept of being vulnerable and being open to share and, and breaking down walls. And I think if you're more open than closed, you're gonna attract that. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna be able to have those type of conversations and be authentic and be genuine and not just say it to be buzzwords, but really truly be you know, your true self. There's, it takes so much effort to lie and put up a facade and put up these optics and these smoke screens versus just being truthful and being who you are. It's just easy it's and it's less stressful. And that comes in life, that takes time, it takes maturity and it takes experience. Yeah, I agree. I feel like people connect with me when I tell the full truth. When you try to sugarcoat what's going on or not tell the full story, first of all, you're lying to everyone and you're setting a bad example that people can never achieve. 
And then second of all, you're closing off those genuine conversations because people feel connected when they hear the struggle. And if you're trying to grow a brand online, you've got to show the ups and the downs if you want to be successful. Yeah, and I think the problem now with social media from an optics perspective, so many people are just showing the wins or what they think are wins and they're showing these fake optics out there. That's great, but the real gold is in the journey. The real gold are in the struggles here because we've all had them. And everyone that's you see is successful, they've all had their stumbling blocks. I mean, when I had Gary on the show, we were talking about that. Even Gary Vee has had his failures. Of course he has. And any successful person has a, had a lot more failures than successes. 100%. Probably the more successful you are, the more failures you've had. This episode of Yap is brought to you by Gusto. If you're a small business owner, you gotta listen up. Running a business is super hard. We all know that. There's endless to-do lists, employees to take care of, and your ever-present bottom line. So first of all, give yourself a pat on the back for staying on top of it all. Gusto wasn't just built for small businesses. It was built for the people behind them. Their online payroll is so easy to use. They can automatically calculate paychecks and file all your payroll taxes, which means you have more time to run your business. Plus, Gusto does way more than just payroll. They can help with time tracking, health insurance, 401ks, onboarding, commuter benefits, offer letters, access to HR experts. You get the idea. It's super easy to set up and get started. And if you're moving from another provider, they can help transfer all your data for you. At Yap Media, we're gearing up to start our HR benefits on Gusto and transition payroll on there as well. And this was the plan even before they sponsored the podcast. After I did my due diligence and research, I chose Gusto because they provide payroll benefits, onboarding, and HR in one place for an affordable price for a budget that suits my growing startup. It's no surprise that 94% of customers are likely to recommend Gusto and that they've been trusted by over 100,000 businesses just like yours. Gusto really cares about small business owners. They have a support team that's super attentive and helpful. And since money can be tight right now, you can even get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash yap and start setting up your business today. You'll see what I mean when I say it's really easy. Again, that's three months of free payroll at gusto.com slash yap. This episode of Yap is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. The average podcast listener has six shows in the rotation, so you're most likely not just listening to young and profiting podcasts, and that's totally okay. In fact, I'd love to share a new podcast to add to your list. The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. Each and every week, Jordan dives deep into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. He's got an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode. He's also got a really fun and strangely relatable segment called Feedback Fridays, where he covers advice on everything from escaping a cult or psycho family situation to relationships and networking to ask for a raise. If you like Yap, you're going to love The Jordan Harbinger Show because, you know, I've only been called the female version of Jordan about a hundred times. Point blank, Jordan is smart, funny, and easy to listen to. You'll be pressed to find an episode without excellent conversation, a few laughs, and actionable content that can directly improve your life. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
So back to actionable advice, because a lot of my listeners are college students, recent grads, or people in their professional careers looking to transition, even people looking to be entrepreneurs. So we'll talk about that since I know you took that leap. But I want to go back to resumes, interviews. Uh, Let's start at the resume piece. What is a good resume versus a bad resume? Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things here. I mean, we're going to assume that everyone's resume from an optics perspective is clean, clear, and concise. Again, it comes back to the word relevance. Relevance, relevance, relevance is everything in recruiting. If you're applying for a job, make sure that your title is clear, but make sure that your the, the three bullet points underneath are actionable things that you've done that are relevant to the role that you're applying to. And make sure it's action that you took, you owned, and the result, a quantifiable result. I own this piece of the process resulting in X number of sales, X number of conversions. Let people see that. You don't want to just regurgitate in your resume what the job description is. A lot of people fail on that. Clean, clear, concise. And I'll tell you something straight up. I could scan a resume in five to six seconds as a recruiter because I know what I'm looking for. I know the relevant companies. But I also know if something's not relevant, there might be a buzzword, there might be a keyword here or there. I might see a thread in their career that'll give me a pause to go back and look a little bit deeper. So it always comes down to relevance and being clear and concise on your resume. I'm not a professional resume writer. I'm not gonna talk about format. I'm not gonna talk about how you structure your sentences. That's well, let not me my ask expertise. you two things. Cover letter and should you put a picture on your resume? Never put a picture on your resume. That triggers unconscious bias. Every one of us has an unconscious bias, whether we like it or not. The sooner you recognize what your unconscious biases are, the better you're able to be more conscious of them. I don't care who you are. So I I disagree on that for people who have a weird name. So I found that with my name, if I sent out in the past, when I sent out resumes without my picture, I would never get called back because people might think I'm weird. They might think I don't speak English. I look, I sound foreign. They see my picture and they're you like, need sponsorship. Oh, yeah. she looks normal. Let's give her a call. She looks nice. You that, know? That, so. is, that is interesting. But if we're going to make a general statement out there, I always err on the side of not including it. Because if you include a photo too, it could also cause bias, many more biases too. So it, it could go either way on that. Cover letters, I think, here's my advice on cover letters. I've seen more people hurt by cover letters than not having them. My advice is the only time to use a cover letter is if you need to explain a gap in your career or a career pivot or something very specific. Because the problem that a lot of people do is twofold. They use a cover letter and they just regurgitate their resume. You're wasting my time. I've also seen how a lot of people make mistakes and they will leave in the wrong information in a cover letter. They'll leave in the information of the company they just applied to, like just wrong stuff. That shows me you're not paying attention to detail and you're not caring. I will exclude somebody based on that. Yeah. And honestly, I don't really enjoy reading cover letters. I don't think anybody likes to write them. Or to, okay, we're scrapping the cover letter. That's, unless, that's outdated. Unless you have something real, like, I feel like your social media is your cover letter now. That's your, a very good what point. What you're Googled, like what, yeah. you're Go- what it says for you on Google is your-, your LinkedIn profile. Your, I think that's, spend time on that. I look at every candidate's LinkedIn profile, but I also don't hold it against them if it's not robust and they're not active on LinkedIn. I don't hold it against them. But if they do have a good LinkedIn profile and a great about section, it's a, it's a plus. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I don't hold it against them because you can't, Maybe they're just not active on LinkedIn. It's not a requirement. Yeah. So let's talk about interviews. Uh, you say that you have a lot of experience asking questions. I know usually the recruiter is the first interview. And then if you pass that, you go on to the hiring managers. And there might be a few rounds there. I'm the gatekeeper. What's your, what's your, yeah, what's your best? But first of all, I guess you have to be nice to the recruiter, right? Um, yeah, don't be a jerk. 
Tell us <laughs> what you think that your best tips are when it comes to getting interviewed for a job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have your elevator pitch. Have your story down because the first question, most recruiters, not so much me, are going to ask, tell me about yourself, tell me about your background. I'm a good recruiter and I've spent time to look at your background beforehand so we don't have to spend 25 of our 30 minutes talking about your background. So be prepared to have that elevator pitch where I could tell you my whole career story, who I am, what I do, and what I want to be doing in 90 seconds to two minutes. Write it down, flush it out, practice it, stand in front of a mirror, tell it to your friends and family, and be able to adjust that elevator pitch as you go through your career. And I learned that skill in, in 2011 when I was leaving American Express, and it's an exercise that not only I do all the time, where I could tell my story, like if you're interviewing me, tell me your career story, but also you could take from the interview day in and day out. Have that elevator pitch nailed down. That's great. Now, question for you. I know that the recruiter is usually the one who goes and tells you your salary or your approximate salary. So how much wiggle room is there typically when you're telling somebody a number or do you wait for somebody to tell you their number? How do you play that typically? Yeah, that's a good question too. So there's a lot of different opinions out there when you're talking about compensation. I don't think compensation should be put in job descriptions. I think it, what it does is it, it's a, say the job is $100,000. If I'm making $50,000, I'm always gonna ask for that top limit, 100,000. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. And it also excludes people who might be a little bit over and the company might have wiggle room to your point there. So what I do on every initial conversation that I'm having with somebody towards the end, I say, all right, let's have the compensation conversation now. I'm not looking to hold you to anything. I'm not looking to lock you into anything. All I want to do is get an understanding of where you're looking to be at in your next role to make sure that we're in the same ballpark. That's all I want to know. If the budget That's for that really role- That's really good. I, I mean, I do this 10 times You could a day. do that in, in selling a deal too. It could be the- oh, I do this all day. This is perfect. like my time. And I do use it for, for business transactions because here's what's going to happen. You're going to tell me, you know, Adam, I'm really looking for, you know, anywhere from one to 125. And if that's the range that I know that the client has, I'll be like, we're good for now. But what I don't want to do is you tell me, hey, Adam, I don't want to talk about this to the end of the process. And then the team interviews you. They love you. We spent four weeks going back and forth and interviewing. Now it comes time from the salary negotiation and we're 50 grand apart. What good does that do for anybody? Yeah. Now, I have people that come to me and they'll flip it on me and they'll say, hey, Adam, what's the budget for the role? And I'll give them a range. But I'll also tell you, the top of the range doesn't mean you're going to get it. I am very transparent with people. I tell it how it is. That way you're managing their expectations from the onset and not at the end of the process. So if you were a job applicant, like let's say you're coaching one of your kids yeah. and they were about to get a job, they're talking to a recruiter, would you say wait for them to tell you the range? <sighs> That's a great question. I would, prob I would probably coach them to flip the question around it's a great question because now I'm on the other side of it. I would I would probably coach him to ask, hey, what's the budget for this role? And yeah, once they give me that the, budget. You're in the power when you have the knowledge. When you Correct. So in a negotiation, you always Going all Chris want, Voss on me over yeah, here. Yeah. You always want the information. You never want to give information. So you lose as soon as you give information. So everybody tuning in, when you're in any sort of negotiation, you always want to try to get the other person to give you information and you do that by asking questions. Correct, you, th there's a proper way to do it also. And I think that once you remove the contentious part of a negotiation and you keep it very just factual, it, it kind of evens the playing field. Cause I'm being straight up with somebody, listen, you, so you'll flip the question back. I'll be like, Hala, what are you looking for in this role? And you'll say back to me, Adam, what's the budget for in this role? 
in the past, I would kind of play the game with somebody and you play the, no, you tell me, and I tell you, you show me, I show you, we don't want to play that game. I just cut right to the chase. They call it, the budget for this role is 125 to 150, depending on experience. And you'll say to me either, that's either good or I fall somewhere in between that. Or Adam, you know what? I'm looking for 200. Now, do you notice that does everybody typically ask for more or do you get people who you're just like, it's 50 grand and they're like, okay. Everybody, almost very few people are okay with that initial offer. They're either getting bad advice or maybe it's okay for them. Maybe it's a reach. There are some people who are just financially okay and money is not everything to them. And they really genuinely care about the opportunity and they're just so happy to be there. Or they're not being coached the right way at home. Maybe they don't have the right people whispering in their ear. Yeah. Always negotiate. Always, 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 always. always, always there's always 10%. There's, there's always, always 10% to add. Very at the rarely. Minimum. Very, very. So you maybe early not jobs. 10%? No, no. I, I'm not putting a percentage number to it because every company is different with wiggle room. Okay. There's a thing called salary bands. The problem is at larger companies, you have to keep people within a salary band because you can't hire somebody who's already there as a director at 140 and all of a sudden the new guy's coming in at 200, it's gonna throw everything off. Plus what's gonna happen with that director who's at 200, how the hell are you gonna give that person a raise next time? It throws everything off. So there has to be salary bands. But in this day and age in this market, there has to be a little bit of wiggle room because of the market and you have to be competitive. So it's... It's a crazy world we're in. Okay, so let's move into the leap into entrepreneurship and then let's get into podcasting and then we're going to wrap up. So entrepreneurship. At what point did you realize that you were meant to be an entrepreneur and why did you end up going out on your own? I really feel like this journey, everything was meant to be in this direction. And the real piece for me clicked when I first went into recruiting and I went from being a a W-2 paycheck to being a in a sales commission-based position. And that initial fire was lit where I had unlimited earning potential. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I went on on my own and made that decision that I said, I'm not, I'm only meant to work for myself. And that fire of going out and eating what you kill. If I don't kill, I don't eat. And my kids don't eat. And I mean that literally and figuratively, I really do. And that lit a fire for me that has just been unlimited, that I could go out and I could, earn as much as I want, that I could hunt as much as I want, that I could bring in, that I could have my own freedom. That was everything for me. That was a light bulb that went off and said, I am meant to be an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur doesn't just mean running my recruiting business, but it's building out the podcast business, building out the pause course that I'm working on to, to teach people how to build a B2B podcast to bring in business. Mm-hmm. Other things that I'm working on on the side that I, that I rarely talk about too. And that was a fire because it gives you the financial freedom and it gives you the time. And I don't owe anybody anything. I don't report to anybody. Yes, we have clients. You and I both have clients, but we're our own boss. If I don't want to work today, if I don't want to do this, if I want to take time off, I don't have to ask for it. It's liberating, but not everybody could do that. You have to earn it and you have to work for it and be able to do that. Yep, and you have to be responsible enough to make sure that you're killing all the time, like to your point. If you're not not killing, you're not eating. Yeah, you can't just. And we mean that in a, I'm saying that harshly because it's true. If you don't kill, you're not going to eat. So that's really cool that you just mentioned you're starting a B2B podcast course. I didn't know that. Uh, Yap exclusive. Yap exclusive. That's really exciting. So I know that we both started monetizing our podcast in in very similar ways. So we both use it as a lead gen tool. I have a marketing and podcast agency. The people who come on my show are best-selling authors, CEOs, podcasters, the type of people that I service. So it just worked perfectly. The people who come on my show 
typically are interested in my services. And now I'm getting people who aren't on my show just because my brand is so big. But in the beginning, it was all my clients were past gas. So talk to us about this strategy and and what some of the things you're going to teach about in your course. We're actually doing something very similar, Hala. We're converting guests into clients. So from that perspective, we are doing something very similar. What I'm doing is, because I have a recruiting business at the core, I have found it to be insanely easier to reach a decision maker within a company that I want to do business with to engage in with my show. Say, hey, I have a top global career podcast all about career journeys, talent, recruiting. I love your story. I'd love to have you on the show. So the process and building that relationship to get them onto the show, the prep, the booking, all of those individual touch points are relationship builders. I do not even pitch my services. They should know about this point if they're even looking at me. They know what I do for a living. Until after the show airs, that's when I'm pitching them my business. I have closed this year alone seven clients that I've had on the show in the last two years as paid clients. That's amazing. It's a case in point proven way to break through the cold calling and the cold emails. And don't get me wrong, I still do that because you have to have a holistic you know, approach and multi-channel approach to business development and leave no stone unturned. But my podcast is my number one business driving tool. It's amazing because it helps you elevate your personal brand. You have something to actually talk about on social media and promote. You have content. You're making these great connections with people who would otherwise never want to talk to you. You're making a great impression because you're studying their life. They get to talk about themselves. When people talk about themselves, they like you more. So you get to basically yes. ask him a million <laughs> questions. <laughs> He's he was like putting fiddling his hands yeah. like uh, who, who's that guy? Yeah, from Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Burns. <laughs> so yeah, like you're just it's such a great strategy to get new clients, especially when you're in a service based business. Right. But it happened organically, Hal. I didn't like it, me too. It was a, right. It was a byproduct, it was an and we talk. You and I talk about this all the time. It logically went in that direction because it is logical and it's organic and it just worked out that way. And here's the other piece too. Aside from the business development, it has in, the, your podcast and mine has enabled us to be truth thought leaders. We're not, we don't call ourselves experts. We don't call ourselves gurus. We don't assign those titles to ourselves. But by de facto of the content and the guests that we're having, we have become those thought leaders. Yeah. So we actually have real content to put out. And it's not, I usually put out more content about other people than myself. And in turn, that light that's shining on them deflects back on us and helps us glow. Yeah. I love the fact that you said that it was organic because same thing with me. It kind of all just happened perfectly. But if you're listening, you can reverse engineer this. That's what I'm teaching. And come up with a podcast that is interviewing people who would be your perfect clients. And it's just a great way to have a business. And then there's so many other ways to monetize your podcast later on. But that is definitely the easiest way to monetize a business through a podcast. Yeah, so now I'm gonna teach it to everyone. You know, I'm working with my producer, Chris, who's amazing, and we're, we're pulling together all that intellectual property, the process, the thought process behind it. And we're really teaching people, this course is not gonna teach people about how to technically turn on these mics and record it and go on Riverside, who we both love, and, and launch a show, but I really wanna teach people the thought process that goes behind it. And more importantly, then maybe this is not right for you. So I'm, I'm trying to talk people out of it too in my course because I want to give you all the reasons to get rid of the doubt and be able to recognize the signs of why you should be passionate about it and why care about it and have the right reasons of why you want to do it yeah. and follow those passions. So that's really what this course is going to be all about. But I'm also going to unpack 
the nuts and bolts of it, all my CRM, all my templates, all the process. I do get into production a little bit, you know, about efficiencies and scaling and outsourcing that we talk about. Yeah. Okay. So if, I wasn't meant to pitch my pod, my course there, but no, that's okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I love to support my friends and I want everybody who's interested in monetizing through a podcast to take an actual course like this, because there's lots of people who think they're going to create a podcast and the money's going to just rain in. And that is not how it happens. It is very difficult to monetize your show through sponsorships. I'm only doing that from three, four months ago, you know, and look how big my podcast is. So you have to be realistic. And, and that is a great way to actually actually monetize a show or a business through your show. So a couple last questions here. First of all, if you guys are podcasters and you love Adam's advice and my advice, we're always on Clubhouse together hosting podcast office hours. Adam has his own room. So follow him on Clubhouse, check him out there. And if you guys have specific podcasting questions, me and Adam are always hosting rooms together. So I yeah. just wanted to call that out. We got to fire that back up. We do. I mean, Clubhouse is kind of dying. Summer's been, I, yeah. I, I think it's going to pick up back in the fall, hopefully. All right. So my last question to you, you have a philosophy in life that you should never say no to anything. Talk to us about that. What has that unlocked for you? Because I think a lot of us hear that we should be saying no more often. So I want to understand why you yeah, think that let me, we should. And, and let me clarify that a little bit yeah. too. Um, listen, I, I, I think that there, in theory, in a business sense, I, I, I've started to say no to a lot of things that are just not good uses of my time. But I've been a no person for a lot of my life that where I'll, I'll default to no before yes. And I'm, I'm taking this to the 30,000 foot view. I'm not talking very tactical business no's, but being more open to yes to opportunities, yes to conversations, yes to things that I may have said no to in the past and doing the same for other people when I have the bandwidth, when I have the time to do it, right? Like Vinny, our, our friend Vinny, who we're talking to later, right? Same philosophy there. like. If he didn't say yes to our first conversation, it wouldn't have opened up this, what we're doing right now today. Yeah. And I just think a lot more holistically about turning the no into a yes. So I just wanna be very clear with everybody that from a, saying no more often is important on a day-to-day -day execution perspective, but from a, from a mindset perspective, just being more open to things in life. So I, I really like that you brought that up because I think everybody needs to know who they are. Are you a no person naturally or a yes person? So like for me, I'm a, I'm a yes person. I say yes to everything and then I get in trouble because I don't have enough time. And I love to say yeah. I always have a problem saying no. If you're a no person, you need to be better at saying yes. Yeah. If you're a yes person, you need to be better at saying no. I think you need to know who you are. My wife always says that I'm, I'm quick to default to no. And, and, and that was really impetus and driver to be more yes. And I think it's more on a personal side with the kids. Like, hey, let's get in the car and just go somewhere. Yes. Let's go do something here. Let's do this, let's do that. And I think that's where it started. So if I could take the yes on the personal side and translate it into business, it's gonna open up a lot more opportunities. Yeah, I love that. So the last question I ask all of my guests is what is your secret to profiting in life? My secret to profiting in life are two things. One is, is scaling, being able to outsource and start to trust others. And really, because your time is finite, you cannot manufacture it, but what you can do is scale it. So I think the biggest thing from a success standpoint is being able to scale, being able to trust other people. And that's when you will really see things open up because then you'll be able to multiply time and multiply your efforts. And where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? On the business side, you could check out nhptalentgroup.com and you could check out the podcast at thepodcast.com, P-O-Z-C-A-S-T. Perfect. Thank you so much, Adam. This is so much fun. Thank you, Hal. It's been a pleasure to finally be on this side of the mic. 
Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. So I had a ton of takeaways from this episode with Adam. And the first takeaway comes before we even had this interview. The first takeaway is my relationship with Adam. So Adam and I met on LinkedIn. We're both running top podcasts. We're both LinkedIn influencers. And we could have seen each other as competition and rivals, but instead we thought of each other as collaborators. And we came about our relationship with an abundance mindset, not a closed mindset, not a limited mindset. We decided that the world was abundant and that there was enough pie for everyone. It's really funny to me that your new friends and people that you met online and people in your industry, they can sometimes be more supportive and more caring and wanna see you win more than your old friends. And that's a huge life lesson that I've learned along the way is that these new friends that I'm making and these people that have common interests can be more supportive and understand your journey and what you're going through a lot more deeply than your old friends. There's definitely a place for old friends in your life and memories and, and you know, you definitely need to separate work from your personal life and things like that. But there's something so special about industry friends who know what you're going through and can be there for you and support you and people who want to see you win. So when someone's out there shining, remember, don't get jealous. Don't just watch from afar. Reach out and make a connection. Your competition can become your biggest collaborators. In fact, in a recent episode with Tiffany Bova called Growth Hacking Your Business, she mentioned coopetition as one of the 10 paths to grow your company. Cooperating with a market or industry competitor can be really powerful because you can teach each other what you know and you can lean on each other's strengths to fill in your own weaknesses. So that's takeaway number one collaboration over competition. Adam gave us a ton of excellent job hunting advice, but the first takeaway I have from this episode is really about the advice Gary Vee told him on the day he was fired. Adam had a dream job and that was working at VaynerMedia. He thought this job when he landed it would be his forever job, but things went south really quickly at the company for him. He underperformed severely and he ended up getting fired. And during his exit interview, Gary Vee gave him an amazing piece of advice. He said, stop focusing on the things that you suck at and double down on your strengths. If you want to become the best in your field, you need an unmatched skill set. Adam and I believe that strengthening your strengths will have a disproportionately higher impact on you becoming exceptional in your field as opposed to working on your weaknesses. Don't go wide and shallow, go narrow and deep. In fact, studies have shown that when we focus on our strengths, we experience benefits like increased happiness, lowered stress levels, more energy, and better health. Likewise, when we concentrate on our strengths, we also develop much faster. This is exactly how Adam turned his life around and started working in recruiting. Adam's number one piece of advice when it comes to making a career transition is to be relevant. You have to be able to do the job. It's true that people care about character, but nothing is more valuable than your skills. You need to meet that minimum skills requirement when it comes to landing your dream jobs. And playing into your strengths and stacking up your skills is the best way to stand out. If you have undeniably more skills and experience than the next candidate, you're going to be the one who lands the gig. And my last takeaway for this episode is to trust the process and trust yourself and to be honest about your failures. When Adam started opening up about his experience with being fired, that's when a lot of doors began to open for him. It takes so much more effort to put up a facade versus telling the real truth. 
And this is a huge secret when it comes to personal branding. People love to hear about failures and mistakes. Owning and sharing your mistakes literally makes you more powerful. When it comes to network, the number one rule is to be of service. If you wanna build a personal brand in your industry, if you wanna be looked at as a thought leader, you need to be of service with value-driven content. And the best way to help other people is to share your failures so they can learn from your mistakes. And actually, this is scientifically proven. Negative information commands more attention than positive information. Negative information is processed more deeply. Negative information is remembered longer. So when you go out and share your failures and talk about your mistakes, people remember your story. They remember it more than your successes and your wins. And when they think about who's the thought leader in their space, they're going to remember your story and what you taught them through talking about your mistakes and talking about your failures. So this is the number one hack when it comes to networking and building a personal brand, own your failures and share them. So as you can see, lots of takeaways from this one. It was a great episode. And if you would like to learn more about entrepreneurship and obtaining your dream career, go check out episode number 98, Design Your Dream Career with Ashley Stahl. Here's the clip from that episode. We can be passionate and even interested in a lot of different things, but there's a big difference between being a consumer of something and a creator or a producer of that thing. So in my case, I love fashion. I love cupcakes. I would be a horrible fashion designer. I would be a horrible cupcake baker. They, just because I have an interest or a passion in something, uh, it doesn't equate to a skill set in it. And so my biggest advice I would say for career advisors and anybody in their career right now is to upgrade the quality of questions that you're asking yourself to get clarity in your career. And that starts with instead of asking yourself, what industry do I want to be in? What am I passionate about? Those are good questions. But what a great question is to me is what is my best core skill set? When have people seen me at my best? Because according to research, we thrive when we are doing well at something. We enjoy ourselves. We have a better time. We like ourselves more. And um, I think a lot of the time people might pursue a passion, but it forces them to work in an area of their skill set that doesn't really align with who they are or where they're gifted. So I would say any given person has probably three or so core skill sets. And it's important to figure out what is that primary one. Again, if you want to learn more about how to narrow down your skill set and land your dream job, go check out episode number 98, Design Your Dream Career with Ashley Stahl. And as always, I want to close out the show by shouting out a recent Apple podcast reviewer. And this week's shout out goes to Yaz Love Bags. She says, fabulous content. I discovered Hala and her amazing podcast randomly on LinkedIn, and I'm a huge fan. This was very inspiring. Thank you so much for your nice work. All things. Thank you so much, Yaz, for taking the time to write us an interview. And if you're out there listening and you found value in today's show, take some time, write us a five-star review, give us some feedback. That is the number one way to thank me and the team here at Young and Profiting. It is a free and effective way to support the show. Apple podcast reviews are the most important types of reviews. So if you can get your hands on an iPhone, if you have Apple podcasts and listen through Apple podcasts, make sure you take time to write us a review and then I'll shout you out on an upcoming episode. And if you don't have access to Apple, drop us a comment or review on CastBox, Podbean, wherever you listen to the show. And if you're out there still tuning in, take a screenshot of this app. Show me that you listened to the end of this episode. Share it to your Instagram story. Tag me at Yap with Hala. And then let's chop it up in the DMs. I want to talk to you. I love to hear from my listeners. I love to know who's listening and get your feedback. 
I really, really appreciate it. You guys can also find me on LinkedIn. Just search for my name. It's Hala Taha. And on Instagram, again, that's at Yap with Hala. Big thanks to the Yap team as always. This is Hala signing off.